We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in X's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Are the Buffalo Bills the Super Bowl favorites? Let's talk this out. Oh, yeah. The Buffalo Bills are unequivocally the best team in the NFL. The Buffalo Bills are winning the Super Bowl. And here's the deal when you look at the Bills. Yesterday, they signed Duke Johnson. Yesterday, they signed Jameson Crowder. These are good, solid moves. A legit backup running back. And I love this. Crowder replaces Cole Beasley. I mean, these guys help. Josh Allen, Gabe Davis is ready to be the number two. I mean, this is incredible. Lost in the shuffle on the day they brought in Von Miller. O.J. did it. They bring in O.J. Howard. Dawson Knox, O.J. Howard, the two tight end package. Devin Singletary really played well. Josh Allen is a superstar. Von Miller, when he had his introductory press conference, said, yeah, I wanted to play with Josh Allen. Josh Allen is like Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes, where players are going to want to play with Josh Allen, who is an absolute megastar. Then there's this. This Bills defense is unbelievable. Bills defense, best in the league last year, going to be even better. Oh, I am so excited. Last year, those 13 seconds against Kansas City, you're a Bills fan, you'll never get over it. Until the Buffalo Bills win a championship, AFC is loaded, loaded. Great teams all throughout the conference. Nobody better than the Buffalo Bills. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report podcast. I am your host, Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And if you're listening to this at home, what you just heard was Adam Shine of CBS Sports talking about why the Buffalo Bills are once again his pick, not just to win the AFC, 
but to win the whole damn show, the Super Bowl. Adam Shine from CBS Sports, we are his pick both before and after free agency, Chris. It's pretty solid, right? I like it. I can get behind it. <laughs> we are here tonight talking about free agency winners and losers, right? So it has to every year, somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. Now, for those of you out there who haven't listened to it yet, our free agency recap of Bruce Nolan, uh, that was a that was a hit. Our AFC East free agency roundup podcast last week. Uh, we talked about a lot of stuff, mostly Bill centric coverage of the Von Miller signing and what that said about Brandon Bean and his uh, flexibility in terms of approach that fans can calm down a little bit now. Uh, the human quality of his GMing style that seems fairly unique and seems to be really helpful for our franchise in terms of landing talent, retaining talent. We we recorded our four hundredth episode. And so it, I, maybe it was the tears in my eyes, you know, you know the, the misty eyes that I, Chris, I caught some real shit from people. As you should. They were like, oh, you got emotional? Like, that's not the rock power report we know. It's like, come on now, dog. You know who I am. Yeah, you're dead inside. We know it. And yet here I am. And, and yet this podcast history is what gets me a little, moistens my eyes a little bit. It was with that that we forgot, uh, we forgot about this beer review. What is this monstrosity you just handed me? It came from Andrew McGowan, who lives in California, San Diego, to be exact. I got, I wanted that to be first based on the can alone. Folks, it's cartoon letters that resemble the bubble yum packaging. This is called Fresh Yum Juicy. It's pink and it's blue, like electric blue. I feel, I feel pretty feminine just holding this. Do you think you'll get cotton mouth from it? I don't know. It's from Pariah. Brewing Company, Fun Yum India Pale Ale. It's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of intimidating, Chris. I'm not going to lie to you. The, the, the look of this can, it seems childish. Yeah. It's like you put that in Jack's, uh, Jack's lunchbox to go to first grade. That's different. It's, Chris, you, you got to get a swig of that, pandemic or not. So it's an India Pale Ale. It's it's hoppy, pari- but it's not. It's it smooth. Says pari- on the can, it says Pariah IPA featuring the unique hop known as cashmere, not to be confused with the sweater. I was going to say, I, do, I feel fancy now. A ca- it smells okay. I mean, you know, I'm not a huge, giant fan of IPAs, but... No, this one's different, Chris. It, there's a... I can get behind that. And what's that on the back end, though? Is it just the can, or does it actually taste like bubble gum? Is it? Think about it. Think about the flavor that's currently in your mouth now that it's gone out. On the back end of this beer, is there is there an actual bubble gum flavor to it, or is this just the can psyching me out? It's the can psyching you out because this on <laughs> it says on the nose and palate, you can expect soft notes of fruit cocktail, tropical coconut, apricot, and bubble gum. See? Called it. A large percentage of oats in the grist provides a super soft mouth feel, yet allows fun yum to maintain a clean finish. Super soft is right. Chris, this is softer. This is softer than Dairy's super soft birthday party. It's six letter Kenny. Six point eight percent. All right, I can get behind that. And it says drink within ninety days of date code. So hopefully Andrew sent us old beer. Bubblegum, coconut, and what? This is a trip, because I, I, my brain is telling me to hate this. 
It's not uh, that bad. I mean, I I get it. We've had worse. Yeah. See, the more I sip this, the more it's grown on me. Damn it! You would, you know what? You would have that as I cry about a podcast one week. I'm enjoying a coconutty IPA the next week. Has this whole thing gone to hell? You know where that would you would have that is now that it's a community space because Twitter's trying to be like Reddit. Oh boy, we have Girls Mafia community on Twitter started by Reed Ferguson. Not only a part of Grills Mafia, also today's his birthday. Celebrating a birthday. So you know what? I'll raise a glass. Chris, yeah, raise a glass to Reed Ferguson. Yeah. If you're in the Grills Mafia community on uh, Twitter, get into it. And if you're not, well, if you're not, I think you should apply for, uh, I think you should apply. Apply for membership. We do have merch. He has merch coming. And I put out the suggestion in the community that we got to have like, Grill-related merch. Oh, yeah. So, like, aprons. The, uh, uh, like a, Aprons so a, fine you won't be embarrassed to grill naked in them. Yeah. Uh, the grill top to sear the Grills Mafia logo into your food. I actually have a brand. I have a meat brand with my initials in it. It's pretty cool. I got... Here's... This is my... I didn't... I thought of this after I had sent the tweet to him. This would be fantastic to have. So, it generally comes on all grills. On the side, you got the hooks for all your utensils. Give me an alternate hook that is your mouth. <laughs> oh, where's the, uh, I need the uh, spatula? That's on Drew's Bicuspids. <laughs> just just terrible teeth holding all your utensils? Yes, that's what I would do. I hate you. All right. So that break, let, let's get into the actual football talk here. We've bored people enough. And that's the winners and losers in free agency. Every single year, there is some, right? You, people who you look around and you go, wow, that team's really killing it. Or teams that you look at and you just feel sorry for these sons of bitches. And then some where you go, you know what? They're delusional and they think they're on one side of the fence, but actually they're on the other. Well, we're here to talk about all of it from our vantage point tonight. And I think the best place to start is with the winners. Yes, there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. And nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. I'm going to start this off with the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, who saw that coming? Drew Gear thinks the Miami Dolphins are winners. They won this offseason. And unlike the last 15 years worth of winning the offseason, I think that this might be the best job they've ever done of it. On the count of three, I want you all to take a deep breath and get it out of your systems now. Suck it, it's my podcast. I can say, if I want to declare somebody a winner, I'm going to do so. Now, if you listen to last week's AFC's roundup with Elf Artiaga, you know that we think that of the three competitors in our division, the Dolphins probably did the most to improve their team over the course of the last month and a half. I, I genuinely believe that. They brought in a young, up-and-coming head coach candidate. They put the less, to rest a lot of the dysfunction that seems to have plagued all these previous Dolphins teams in terms of who was actually running the show. I, well, what was the term Elf used? The, a Politburo? He was like, oh yeah, in the communist government. It was the way that they kind of ran it so that nobody knew who was actually in charge of anything, so you couldn't blame anyone. That was the Dolphins' <laughs> offensive coordinator group. Chris, have you ever heard of a team with two offensive coordinators? No, I would assume it's the same. Uh, you use the same quote when you when you say, "We have two quarterbacks, so you have none. We have two offensive coordinators, so you have none." And then no one could answer for who was calling the plays. Well, now they've put that to rest, right? 
Their head coach is the guy. Uh, the quality of their defense remains intact. The, and the pieces that they added in the first week they weren't household names. But they were guys that they got a very athletic fullback, a pass-catching running back, a good slot-wide receiver option. That this, this offense needed to kind of fulfill what Mike McDaniel's offensive philosophy is. Then... This week, they really took some swings, adding Pro Bowler Toronto Armstead to the their ridiculous. Chris, their whole offensive tackle room is nothing but failed projects. They added a Pro Bowler, a career, like a guy who for his career is in the upper echelon of offensive tackles. That's a victory. And they added maybe the most prolific speed wide receiver, maybe in my entire lifetime, in Tariq Hill. So before you all get your panties in a bunch, I'm still not scared of the 2022 Miami Dolphins as contenders to suddenly win the division. But if I mean, if you go over to Dolphins Twitter, they're already arguing over where the Super Bowl parade should be. But you have to give credit where it's due. And the Dolphins knew that in if, if they were going to bring in you know the, the San Francisco type offense that their offensive coordinator ran, they were going to need elite athleticism at some places that a lot of teams don't put a huge premium on, like fullback, wide receiver, tight ends that can play laterally and take advantage of spacing. The fact that they were able to put together this collection of offensive talents that they have that suddenly has teeth now to avoid wasting a whole season while waiting to aggregate more talents so that this learning curve for that their offense can be shortened. I think they deserve a small round of applause for that because that's savvy GMing from a guy that even their own fan base was trolling most of the week in free agency. And I think most importantly, and this is something that cannot be underscored enough, they did something really intelligent. They didn't give up a first or second round pick in 2023 while acquiring Tariq Hill. So they quietly have this insurance policy in their back pocket in the form of assets to leverage in the future in the event that they go out there this season with all these weapons and Tua doesn't improve. Like, even if the offense does better and Tua doesn't improve or Tua doesn't improve enough, like, if his ceiling becomes Jimmy Garoppolo now because they've put him around all these things, I mean, I think Jimmy G, isn't he, like, kind of, like, the prime example of, like, quarterback who got paid a lot of money for nothing? I would go with Andy Dalton. Who did Andy Dalton have in his prime for receivers when they were going to the playoffs. Hushman Zada. Chad Johnson. AJ Green. Did yeah. he have Chad Johnson? I believe so, yes. Maybe. Who knows? But either way, I, if you want to talk about quarterbacks who stole the most money, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is probably number one. <laughs> but if, if that's who Tua proves to be even with all these weapons around him, it's okay. It doesn't matter because they still have assets next season that they can use to get rid of him or at least go target a developmental quarterback for when he's gone and they don't get tied into paying him. I think that that's great. Now, Chris, here's my question to you about them and and our listeners who are in the, in the group right now. Do you guys agree with me that while Miami probably isn't a threat to Buffalo this season, they're absolutely a threat to New England? That's 100% true. What, I'm still waiting for New England to do anything in free agency. Oh, oh, I can't, I can't wait. They I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. The, <laughs> as I saw all the signings and trades come in for the Dolphins, it's been uh, wow. Okay, they're clear cut second place is what I'm getting. Clear cut second place. Not only this, uh, Tuesday night I was doing Blake and Reed's podcast, producing it, and. Uh, Blake was discussing when he went and met with head coach Mike McDaniels, and I texted this to you, openly said that McDaniels has a couch 
in his office with two ferns on each side because he's such a huge fan of Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> How do you not like that guy? How do you not like him just a little bit? Yeah. It, How can you not like him? So I got to declare the Dolphins one of the winners, and I think that it comes at the direct expense of New England. If there's anybody here that is going to suffer for what Miami's done here, it's not us. It's going to be the team that already got swept by a much crappier Miami offense this year. What do you guys think? Chime in if you have any input. The next winner in free agency, mediocre wide receivers. Let's talk about that. One of the clear-cut winners in this free agency cycle is a whole boatload of guys who might not even be the best players at that position on their current roster. There were some massive wide receiver happenings this offseason. I mean, look at the Tariq Hill trade probably doesn't happen if it's not for the Devontae Adams trade and that massive contract he signed. Every report pretty much says that the reason that that trade took place at all was because Devontae, Drew Rosenhaus represents both Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. Yeah. So when Rosenhaus negotiated that absurd contract with the Raiders after the trade, He then turned right around to the Chiefs and said, hey, remember when we thought we had a deal in principle with my client over here? Yeah, yeah, you fucked it. (laughs) I need more money. My client needs more money. And the Chiefs went, well, what the hell? We We can't do that. It blew up their whole plan. And so a lot of the stuff that happened around this... There's a trickle-down effect. You know, well, what is that? Uh, wide receiver Reaganomics. <laughs> the old trickle-down effect. And so, it's, a lot of other guys snag paydays. Not just snag paydays, but paydays that there's so little justification for that you have to start to question whether some of these guys have been spending too much time hanging out with uh, former Miami Dolphins coach Chris Forrester. And if you don't get that joke, go ahead and Google it. You'll Trust me, it's a good one. I forgot about that. <laughs> The first the line fir- coach doing blow. <laughs> the first one, Christian Kirk. The Jaguars decided that a slot wide receiver, a guy who's pretty much pigeonholed as to what his role is, who's also never had more than a thousand yards, even though he's been targeted a hundred times twice in his career already. He was worth a fifteen million dollar base salary <laughs> and a twenty one million dollar cap hit in twenty twenty three. That's way more than Stefan Diggs is set to count for. And Chris, that's after back-to-back thousand-yard seasons and a year where he led the NFL in receiving yards. It's fucking wild. That should never happen. Russell Gage. Nobody knew who he was last season until both Julio and uh, what's his face? Kelvin Ridley. Until they were both off the Atlanta roster. Nobody even knew who Russell Gage was. Now he's making $10 million a year. Zay Jones. Can you imagine, Chris, a team letting DJ Chark go? Because despite a 1,000-yard season and 15 touchdowns, you don't think you're getting enough out of him. And then you turn around and give $2 million a year more to Zay Jones, who somehow has scored fewer times and has less career yardage, but he's played in double the football games. It's wild. Not only that, but then he shows up for his press conference appropriating Mexican culture. He looked he looked like he was playing Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. Like he looked like he was dressed up as him for Halloween. He looked awful. And at the same time, my wife pointed out he also simultaneously looked like Pedro. He looked like he was about to ask like well offer up like some advice like you could build her a cake or something. 
Maybe you rode in on a sledgehammer. Like I was just waiting for him to end his press conference and yell, Orale! It was horrible. That's your guy. That is your $10 million a year wide receiver, or I think eight? Eight to ten? Something like that. I mean, I get the Kirk and Jones signings in Jacksonville because they're going to be up before Trevor Lawrence's rookie deal is up. So at the end of Lawrence's rookie deal, you can just go, well, we got him weapons. We got we signed wide receivers, and not to mention Evan Ingram signed in Jacksonville. We have all of these weapons. So here, Trevor Lawrence, use these weapons to get your massive contract later. You know that you know the cookie analogy that you like so much. Yeah, this would be like if someone came to you and said, "Hey, Chris, make me chocolate chip cookies," and you said, "Hey, I don't have the ingredients." So then the GM went to the grocery store and came back and said, "Okay, I got everything." And you open the grocery bag, and inside it is a tomato, a pineapple, some flour, beets. No, what it is, what it is, is that... Werther's original, and you're like, what What the fuck is in here? And they go, the the cookies. Remember you said you were going to make cookies? No, what it is in, in Jacksonville, the, to go with that cookie analogy for Jacksonville, is is if, uh, you know, you're like, oh, make me, make me cookies, and then somebody went to uh, Tops, and bought, Tops and bought flour from Tops and then put it in a Wegmans bag and... Branded it as Wegman's flour. <laughs> like, no, this is no, this it's is, good. It's good. This I is, bought the good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I bought the good stuff. Really, it's just Topps brand. Everything's flour. Topps brand. Yeah, but the label's been scribbled over so that you don't think it's cheap. Yes, that's hilarious. And I will say that there's one interesting common thread through all of these contracts, though, that applies directly to the Buffalo Bills, and that's this idea that all of these wide receivers have almost no base salary due in their opening year. And big chunks of guaranteed money in the next two seasons before, quote-unquote, out years. Kind of like what we did with uh, Von Miller. Small money now, big money over two years, and then opportunities for us to kind of lay off some of the cap expenditures over a, over a, but you know, it can be restructured, it can be reconfigured, it's not, not a lot of it's guaranteed. It gives you cap flexibility. That trend is going to be incredibly important when it comes time for Bean to negotiate with Stefan Diggs. And after seeing the nonsense that took place this free agency cycle, I can only imagine Diggs and his agent are just rubbing their hands together, licking their chops. And meanwhile, I'm sure Brandon Bean would love to pull a Billy Madison and leave a flaming bag on Trent Ball, Jaguars GM Trent Balky's doorstep. <laughs> that guy sucks. <sighs> Another winner in this year's free agency cycle is teams looking for help at offensive guard. Now, the reason I say that the 2021 free free agent market, or 2021, yeah, 2021, last year, wasn't great if you were a team that needed help on the interior of the offensive line. Uh, Joe Tooney signed a giant $80 million contract with the Chiefs. Uh, Kevin Zeitler got a three-year, $22 million deal with the Ravens. Pat Elfine, I don't even know where the hell he went, but it was three years, $13 million. The rest of the deals that got signed were nothing but one-year deals and were basically a, a who's who of people I, I've either never heard of before, like Alex Redmond or uh, Lane Taylor, who not only did I not know exists, but I'm pretty sure that's actually a, like a line of women's undergarment for Rubenesque females. Like, isn't that Lane Taylor? That's, that's yeah, that's... That sounds right. That call sound, in, call in if you know. Yeah, is that a, is that a, I think it's a woman's apparel line. I, I don't know. Or they were a bunch of guys we already know aren't good. 
like uh, Buffalo Bills uh, G- John Miller, you remember him from the Rex Ryan days, or Brian Winters, that failed experiment. This season, the offensive guard market not only featured more big names and had 10 players signing multi-year deals, but it's also, even at this late date in the signing period, set up as advantageous for teams who need talent at those positions like the Buffalo Bills. All right, we're going to bring in your boss into the conversation. We have Ryan Lacell. <laughs> Unmute your microphone if you have not already. Ryan Lacell, welcome in. What do you have? Hey, uh, so you guys were com- combining Ann Taylor and Lane Bryant on that one. Is that what it is? Two, two female clothing brands, but you combine them to make Lane, uh, whatever you said. And how do you Ann know Taylor. this? Do you wear them? <laughs> Well, no, but I'm married, so I, I hope, know women's clothing brands. I hope. See, this is one thing I try to tell people about Chris. Like, my buddy Potter was talking about it, and he goes, your boy talks a lot of smack on the podcast. I hear all these jokes he's cracking. And I go, here's the funny thing about Chris. He will throw barbs, but when he inevitably... I've watched Chris get roughed up by no fewer than five of my friends. Like, and I just stand there, and I just we all laugh, and we just watch it happen. And Chris doesn't seem to hold a grudge about it. He's just like, no, I called down the thunder on me. So, Ryan, when you run into him at a tailgate next year, you put him in a headlock. It'll be fine. Like He'll get it. I'll get it. We'll all have a laugh afterwards. It's pretty great. <laughs> uh, I do. Chris, one of these things I love about this format is that when I say call in if you know, people can actually do so because I'm not the brightest on the fly here. You yeah. can tell. And it's nice that your boss called in. My boss. He's, he's, just wait. Oh, I can't wait for the podcast. It's going to be great when we have Ryan back in studio. So... Right now, everybody's hand-wringing. You know, we're talking here, we're talking about offensive guards, and everybody's hand-wringing over this uh, Ryan Bates news. That the Bears have signed him to an offer sheet, and that the Bills have five days to to match or lose his services. And if this was last year's market, or last year's draft class, I'd be right there with the rest of you, worried about the state of our offensive line moving forward. This year, though, Even after the 20 signings that have already taken place at the offensive guard position, there's still a sizable number of players left in the open market in need of a place to play this year. And and they're they're kind of interesting when you look at the makeup. There's multiple players out there like Will Hernandez, Ethan Pachuk, uh, Jesse Davis, who (laughs) Jesse Davis, Elf, Arteaga message us today guys you have to get in nate geary's mentions about this he's hell-bent on trying to convince nate geary that signing jesse davis is a good idea they hate him but when you look at his athletic makeup jesse davis has played five different positions across the offensive line in his career so he's versatile and one of the big things that those three players have in common they all have equal relative athletic score metrics that are comparable to what Ryan Bates brings to the table and are all relatively young by NFL offensive line standards, meaning that with proper coaching, they might be candidates that you could buy low on and still get solid athletic performance out of to work with what you found down the stretch in the Bills offensive line when you plug Rick Bates in there. There's also a glut of veteran talent that could just be looking for a place to play while also a chance to like chase a ring. You know, guys who didn't find a home in the first week or two of free agency that are now getting worried. The agents are like, look, you still need money this year. You're only 28, 29, 30. You still need a place to play. Wouldn't would, would you rather cash some checks playing for who uh, the Houston Texans this year? Or do you want to go be an integral piece of an offensive line in Buffalo, New York, where you're going to take less money, but 
you might get a ring out of it. I'm looking at guys like Billy Turner from Green Bay, Eric Flowers, who's played guard and tackle with the Giants, and Miami and Washington, and yet he's only 27 years old. Try Turner. Try Turner is a guy who, it's hilarious, he went from pro bowler to salary cap cut to a member of a failed Pittsburgh offensive line, and now he's out there looking for work, and he's only 28 years old. And then, if all else fails, if everything else goes tits up, you still have Ike Botker out there, who removed, he, who knows what his status is. I mean, he'd had that season-ending injury, but a combination of a rookie draft pick and an Ike Botker coming back off that injury, when you look at the really super athletic makeup of these offensive guards, there's multiple players in the pick 60 to pick 120 range of this upcoming draft who are really athletic. Zion Johnson, Chris Paul, Cole Strange. You put one of those guys in and bring me an Ike Botker as kind of a veteran security blanket. At least I know what I'm going to get out of him. That wouldn't be the worst thing on earth either. So in that way, not just the Buffalo Bills, but any team that finds themselves in a similar predicament as we are right now, unlike in years past, the makeup of this free agency class means that we're not lost at sea. We still have options available to us. And instead of being left praying for a backup level player that we might plug in, the Buffalo Bills have guard options in the event that they don't feel like matching whatever the whatever the Bears had to offer. Now, I ask both you and everybody who's listening to this live, when you look at the things through that light, and knowing how much money that we're going to have tied up in our most elite players next season, when Allen's contract starts to toll with Von Miller's sizable cap hit that's actually going to be on the books and not a $5 million gift like we have this year, who else out there thinks that maybe that last option might be better than chasing the retention of Ryan Bates? Do we know the details of Bates no, in Chicago? The, the, the details have not leaked yet, but... If they're signing him to a deal, right? Like if they say, hey, this is a one year. Would this be like a Charles Clay situation where they try to pay him a contract where they know that we can't match? It's possible if they think that they, if they like him enough. The question that I have is what did they see that they would like him enough that that becomes probable? All right, let's think about that for a second. What could the Bears have seen in Rick Bates's what, four or five games? Just the end of the season. Okay. So I don't think you're talking about money that's going to blow the doors off anybody. Might it be more, though, than because if you think about it, the the point keeps getting made. And I've heard people try to describe this as a mistake by Brandon Bean. Oh, Brandon Bean made a mistake by not putting a higher tender on Rick Bates. Did he? I don't know. He traded for him. Uh, Him and his coaching staff retained him over a handful of seasons. And he only saw the field for five games. Now, they liked what they saw. They said, listen, we want you to be here. We're going to put... Think about the guys that they had opportunities to in years past that they didn't put like a... uh, that They didn't put a tender on. Uh, Levi Wallace, uh, Isaiah McKenzie, guys they let go out and test the market. Those were guys that I think at the time they said, look, we we think we can... We want you, but we want you at at a price we want. We have a number. We're not going to deviate. This is the same kind of thing, which is why they did not put a higher tender on him. They like Rick Bates just at the number that Brandon Bean has in his head. Let me ask you this. So we have a new offensive line coach. Does that play into it? Is Bates a fit 
with what Cromer wants to do. Well, Cromer's been multifaceted enough in his approaches and the various lines that he's run, the offensive approaches that he's run over the years. I mean, he's been in the league for a long time. He could make it work. The question is, do, do they want to? They're, they're, they're probably not going to bend over backwards for this. And so I'm interested to know, like, is anybody else looking at this and saying to themselves, it might be better to get younger at this for the future and just bring back a guy with uh, with experience. What do you guys think? Chris, g- go to the lines. All right. Guess who's back? It's your boss, Ryan Lacell, back on. <laughs> what do you got, Ryan? So supposedly it's a multi-year contract and they've front-loaded the deal for bait to be about a $6 million cap hit in year one. Okay. So I think they're trying to muscle the bills out of this one if they can. So to Chris's point, it's like a Charles Clay scenario where they're coming in here and they're trying to say, look, we know where the bills are cap wise and we really like Ryan Bates. So let's see if we can't steal him out from under him with a poison pill kind of a thing here. Like, hey, you can't do this because if you do, it'll really put you in a bad spot. Right. I I don't know, Ryan. What do you think? Ryan, before we go to our our next uh, listener here. Do you believe that it's smart to move on from Rick Bates if that's the case and simply try to get younger on a, you know, take a guy in the top 120 picks and have a four year, have a, have a four year cost controlled player on the roster versus chasing a free agent? Oh, I think we lost him. Yeah, he's gone. Well, when he comes back, because I'm interested to know, what do you guys think on this? Because I'm torn, but I genuinely think that that's where the smart money lies. Don't you, Chris? Yeah. At this point, we don't need any future cap commitments. We already have enough. And if you go out into the free agent market, an older player like Tri Turner might want more money. Like, hey, I'm not going to sign a one-year deal. I want three. Well, I don't know if I can commit to three because I've already got, I've, I'm already going to be up against it when it comes to trying to keep guys like um, keep guys like Stefan Diggs in the house. When I've I've already made commitments to guys like Von Miller and uh, my safety tandem is going to need money. I'm going to have you just have too much on the books, and it's just crazy to me. Up, oh, Lauren coming in. The wide she, she DM'd us. The wide receiver market is in step with the real estate market. Super inflated. Everyone's getting in with a say and while saturated, only a few are really good. Yeah. That's why me and my wife aren't 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 moving. <laughs> we aren't moving because we, I took a look around the market and my wife's like, Oh, I like this house. I go, Yeah, I like it too. And much like Brandon Bean, I had a price point. And then I, I was hearing, you know, I said, I listen, let's not even put in an offer because the the asking price is gonna like the offers that are gonna be are too high. And then our real estate agent comes back and tells us the houses that we didn't put offers in on ended up closing $50,000 over asking. (laughs) And these are houses that I didn't think were worth what the asking price was. That's crazy. And anyone, any relatively intelligent human being would be smart to stay out of that. It's kind of the same thing with the guard market here. I think that this is where you kind of should go with these things. And I think that, but again, we've got options. And so if that's the case and you're a team that needs guard play, Chris, aren't you kind of, you're in an advantageous position. Yeah, we are. I mean, I, I get what the Bears are doing. They don't, they're still waiting for a, who's the, the was it the end of the first round or second round from last year, Tevin Jenkins? Yeah, the guy who they drafted and then found he out. A, he, he had a back problem and he was out, like out all year. Yeah, do you guys remember Terrell Troop? 
Yeah, that's kind of his career arc too. So yeah, if you if you recall Terrell Troop, Tevin Jenkins might might end up being in the same boat. And now I don't want to be self congratulatory here, Chris, but I think you know, like you know who the other winner I have to name here is, right? It's the Buffalo Bills. It's the Buffalo Bills because our roster is one of the leagues more complete from top to bottom. And inside their own division, things look pretty rosy right now, regardless of what Miami's done. And then when you look at this, the schedule got easier, right? The schedule? I'll say this first, okay? Miami. We all like what Miami did. I like what Miami did. Also, Miami can get bent. Here's why. Did their defense get any more talented? Did, did they? Uh, no? Here's what it is. So remember when Brady was in his prime and we had cold front, Jets had Richardson, Mo Wilk, and... Uh, well, everyone built up their yeah, defenses. Everybody built. To- so now Miami is like, we got to outscore Buffalo. Yeah? That's well, why we're going okay. after all these people. Okay, well, watch then, this. And we're going to have a shit quarterback. I, I don't care. Because here's the thing, they they're bringing, they kept their defense intact in that Tariq Hill trade. They didn't have to give up any major players. There's rumors around that they might have to trade Xavier Howard because of Tyreek Hill's contract, which would be interesting because that changes the complexion of their defense. But even if they don't have to, they're the same defense that allowed the Bills to score 61 points in two games last year. The Bills converted 50% of their third down attempts. They gave up four passing touchdowns and four rushing touchdowns to Buffalo, which is kind of shocking considering how bad our rushing attack was. They allowed us to throw for 428 yards with only 232 of it coming after the catch, which indicates that downfield, they were still getting beat even with that corner talent, and they lost their defensive-minded head coach who was largely responsible for the defensive play calling and structure. Even if the Dolphins' offense got more talented... If they want to get into a shootout with me, I'll take our Doc Holiday over their Johnny Ringo any day of the week and twice on Sundays. They, You're trying to build a juggernaut on offense. Okay, Ooh, that's great, and that might work against some teams. Please, you don't scare me, and your defense doesn't scare me either. And this schedule got easier, Chris. It's a weird dynamic, but when you look at the moves made by the other teams on the Bills' schedule this season, it's not unfair to say that their opponent's roster turnover, or sometimes just roster stagnation, was just as impactful as anybody the Bills signed on their own. The NFC North looks weaker than it did before. Aaron Rodgers has no wins here in Orchard Park, New York in his career. Not only Aaron Rodgers no wins in OP in his career, That goes for the entire Green Bay franchise. They have never won in Buffalo ever. So as a franchise, your team doesn't have any wins here. It's going to be a lot harder to break that streak when you consider the team lost its most dynamic pass catcher, wide receiver three, wide receiver four, and they lost offensive linemen this offseason. They've hemorrhaged talent. They've got a great running back. That's fine. We've played plenty of great running backs. Robert Tanyan's coming back off an ACL tear. Depending on when we play them here in Orchard Park, I, I don't know who they're even going to have at their disposal, how acclimated to the offense these players are going to be. It's it's a mess, kind of. The Vikings kept Kirk Cousins for some reason, and they're not all that different a squad than the one that missed the playoffs last year. Yet they've added a rookie head coach and a rookie GM to reshape the team. 
Chris, rookie head coaches, Sean McDermott's done pretty well in his career against first-time head coaches. Yeah, uh, about Kirk Cousins, what were the Vikings' other options? They have Kellen Mond, but were you going to be in the market for Jimmy Garoppolo for a trade, or were you going to go after Baker Mayfield? Because Cousins, Mayfield, and Garoppolo kind of all fall into the same category, except Baker Mayfield has Tigers. <laughs> it is kind of weird when you think about they are kind of all in that tier of just mediocre quarterback like talented you do some things very well each one of them has at least one trait that you say that's a great quarterback trait i wish my team had that and yet they're not good <laughs> like he he can throw really really accurate intermediate passes kirk cousins and so that makes him and justin jefferson dangerous together but what else do and you've got a great running back but your line isn't very good how often, your defense isn't very good. How often does Kirk Cousins see Justin Jefferson? Yeah, it's it, it's just a weird thing that they got going on up there. Why they're just keep they just keep spinning their tires ever since they've signed him. And the, I, was it his first season there where we just beat their asses and John Shalen jumped over Anthony Barr? Yeah, and I had to do a Seagram. <laughs> I think that was his. I had a Seagram. I, I had a Seagrams to drink. It was the fast. I think that was the, you said that was the fastest Seagrams you've ever had to drink because you were like, oh, the Bills are going to get blown out, murdered by them. They're not going to score a touchdown in the first half. And they scored on their very first drive. Yeah. So and they didn't bad. look back. <laughs> <laughs> so then you get the Bears, who are basically in the same boat the Bills were in, in 2018. Yeah, they're tearing down their roster so that the next year they'll have cap space to remake it around a young and hopefully ascending quarterback. The problem is, is that you don't have any playmakers. Chris, who are, can you name any other wide receivers off the top of your head? No. Can you name any other tight ends off the top of your head? Cole Komet. Okay, that's a good one. But um, he's in his second year, but we all know it takes a little bit for tight ends to get anywhere. They just they lost multiple pieces to that defense. They shipped off Khalil Mack. They cut uh, was it Eddie Goldman, their nose tackle. They cut. They they released a lot of players on defense who were kind of the glue holding that shit show together. They're they're just depleted of skill all over the place. They're taking the salary cap mistakes of a previous regime on the chin is what they're doing. And everybody in Bills Mafia remembers what that looked like for us, right? Like what I think we rolled out. I think that year we had the second cheapest offensive line in the NFL next to the Arizona Cardinals. That sucked. Josh Allen. I don't know how we didn't get him killed. That's when you knew he was going to be a great quarterback and that he was going to be mobile because a $12 million offensive line that was making less than just Taylor Lewan alone, that group didn't get him fucking murdered. And then the Lions are the Lions. I mean, they're just, they're just a perennial joke. Meanwhile, if you go outside the NFC North, the Steelers are going to have a new quarterback in Mitchell Trubisky, but it's not clear who he's going to be throwing passes to, Right. The team spent most of its money on defensive players in the offensive line, but lost their wide receiver one, wide receiver three, wide receiver four, and tight end two. They got a lot of work to do in building that roster around him so that they have a functional offense. The Rams already lost one of the league's most highly graded defensive ends from the 2021 season. They've got about $8 million in cap space as of today. And the addition of Allen Robinson, I, can that make up for losing Robert Woods, Odell Beckham, their second cornerback? Uh, their their left tackle, their starting right guard. Like, can you make up for all that? Let me ask you this, Fatty. Allen Robertson, comparable to Robert Woods in the run game, yes or no? No. God, no. 
All right. That's what I thought. So six of the Bills non-division opponents have pretty much either remained in the same mess they were in 2021 or they regressed from where they previously were talent wise. In some cases, significantly. If you consider that, a, I mean, I'm looking at just inside those six, a four and two run isn't inconceivable. And then when you take a look, look at the makeup of our own division, your odds of getting eight to nine wins out of those contests alone become significantly better by what transpired this offseason. Now, this is probably my favorite part of the show. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We get to talk about the losers. Fuck you both. Your lives are so fucking pathetic. I ran a charity 15K to raise awareness for it, you fucking losers. <laughs> that drop never gets old. I love that. And Chris, I need you to fish me one more beer out of the fridge because I need to two fist for this one because the biggest, I say the biggest, I start with them because they're probably the most fun to talk about. Ooh, a moose head. That's the best. Grip and rip this. The New England Patriots. It's always fun when you can start the session of punching down here, isn't it? It's always a good time. There's a phenomenon that happens every year in the sports media. And it's, it's right up there with the Aurora Borealis that you like, you know when it's going to happen and you can't explain why. The annual ass kissing of the New England Patriots. There have been pundits for ever since free agency started talking about how what the Patriots are doing this year is supposedly intelligent. Scott Pioli just this morning was claiming that somehow the Patriots were smart to be on a spending spree last year when most teams were standing pat because of the cap decrease and wise not to be pressed into signing players while the rest of the AFC is trying to load up for this run. He literally quoted Warren Buffett in the process of telling us what a bang up job the Patriots have done. He said that low oh, their, their team building style is quote unquote cautious. Cautious is a nice way of saying we spent all our fucking money last offseason and can't really be players this year. Chris, if they were really being cautious, would they have been in on so many negotiations this offseason just to lose them to other teams? I don't know. And if last season's spending was so effective, why did your team not only get thrashed by Buffalo's offense two out of the three meetings? but also gave up one of the most prolific offensive performances in NFL history in the process and left national pundits like Colin Cowherd saying stuff like this. If you went this morning and you listed the 10 best players, same division, AFC East, Bills and Patriots, 
Josh Allen's the best player. Stephon Diggs is second. And Vaughn Miller's third. I'll give the Patriots the forced Math Judon, although he disappeared at the end of the year. Tredavious White, great corner for Buffalo, got hurt. Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, they have tremendous safeties. I'll give you David Andrews, who I think was undrafted at center. And then Tremaine Edmonds and Dawson Knox, who I think had uh, they have six or seven, uh, nine touchdown catches last year. There you go. Eight of the top ten players. And by the way, 11 to 15 is mostly Bills, too. Colin Coward, Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports Radio, The Herd with Colin Coward. They don't rate. They don't rate with us. And it's not for lack of trying. This offseason, and this is where I think of this cautious, oh, they're being pragmatic. That's all bullshit. Here's how I know. They were in on negotiations with running back Leonard Fournette right up until he proved to be too rich for their blood. They were talked about as front runners for offensive tackle Lyle Collins until all of a sudden they weren't. They, they chased Leighton Esch, Leighton Van Der Esch, the linebacker from the Cowboys, because they knew they needed more athletes in their, in their linebacker core and didn't land them. Uh, wide receiver Allen Robinson snubbed them. Cornerback uh, Justin Coleman, who isn't even a household name, like he, he spurned them to go back to the Seahawks, who are in the middle of a full-blown rebuild. They were tied to so many free agents while losing so many of their own. And yet we sat here and laughed. If you were watching Matthew Judon live tweet all of his frustrations, (laughs) watching the entire AFC East improve while his team not only didn't sign any meaningful pieces to help, they, they didn't help the passing attack. They didn't help the slow defense. They also lost some of the most impactful players and some of their best depth pieces to other AFC franchises. Andrew Callahan of the Boston Herald on March 21st. This is a quote, and Chris, it might be one of my favorites that I've read recently. Because all this bullshit about how great of a job they're doing. According to one agent who spoke on the condition of anonymity, the Patriots raised their offer significantly for an elite offensive, ta- uh, an elite offensive client of mine who signed a similar contract somewhere else, but was not drawn by the money. Oh, not drawn by the money. That's the that's the, the that's the twisting of the knife there. If that's not a condemnation of the roster that Bill Belichick has put together over there and the decisions that he's made with their roster and the salary cap in 2022, I don't know what is. Chris, can you imagine an elite player going, I know the money's the same. I don't want to go to New England. <laughs> yeah, what a whose con- fault is that? Well, it comes down to Brady not being there. Well, but whose fault is that? Billy B. But that doesn't matter right through the Patriots. Every single season, the lazier parts of the national media line up to proclaim that whatever the Patriots are doing, it has to be intelligent. Because Bill Belichick thought of it. And surely, since he's a genius, every move that they make has to be a great one. Not according to Colin Coward who also, in the aftermath of the Von Miller signing, had this to say. This is a move basically saying, we haven't been here in 20 years. We got better players than New England. We're going to be leading New England late. We're going to take away the one thing that, that cost us the Super Bowl. We just needed one more pass rusher, maybe against Kansas City. So um, those who worship at the house of Belichick, he is the best football coach I've ever seen. He should have been fired years ago as a general manager. Oh, mic drop. God damn, punching down on these guys never gets old. It, I, 
I'd like to think that as they start to lose and they don't have as much success year over year and their Bill Belichick retires and their franchise kind of fades into irrelevance, I I want to believe that I'll I'll stop having so much animosity towards them. It's a nice thought. I don't think it'll ever actually happen. <laughs> I think I'm going to be I'm going to hate them forever. I'm just going to hate on them. I'm going to hate on them until in the words of Ice T from the Haters Ball, until they're just broke and g- completely flat and they got nothing. Just like <laughs> Yeah, I can't wait. It just feels like a we're about to go on a run what the Patriots had done to us the last 20 years. Now, here's the question I'd offer up to you and anybody listening live if you want to chime in. Do you think how many of you genuinely believe that the Patriots are in trouble after getting swept by Miami? outclassed down the stretch by Buffalo and now falling behind in what's become an arms race in the AFC East. Where do you see the Patriots finishing in 2022? I know we haven't drafted yet, but when you look at proven talent, if you look on paper, what's on, on paper on paper. That's what you got to use. How many people are genuinely, where do you think they finish in 2022? Let, let us hear it as we're, they, they could be probably, I you can't finish worse than the Jets. <laughs> Can there? If you finish worse than the Jets, you have to go overseas and play in NFL Europe. It's funny. Which I, doesn't exist anymore. It's funny. I almost put the Jets on this list of losers just because Tariq Hill made fun of them. Like, how bad is it that the Jets had, like, they had a deal in place with the Chiefs? The Jets were like, oh my God, we're going to get Tariq Hill. And then Tariq Hill found out and was like, nah. You would think not not going. You would you would think he chose Miami for the nightlife, because if you're looking at quarterbacks and who's throwing to me, you would go, well then give me Zach Wilson. He's got an arm. I can still run those fifty yard deep crosses and catch a pass from Zach Wilson because he can make those throws. Tua can do about thirty five yards at best. It's it's going to be interesting. It's interesting. Whatever you guys think, feel free to chime in. Ah, oh, God, can you imagine Bill Belichick just no longer here? It's coming. Retirement is coming soon. And what if he just gets pummeled into retirement? What if it's not even like he gets to go out on top? He doesn't get the uh, royal treatment that uh, Peyton Manning got. He doesn't get to win a Super Bowl on his way out the door like Tom Brady did. Just, just gets pummeled into retirement like Brett Favre. He, he gets stretchered off the sideline. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Oh, what a time to be alive. I love this. Browns fans, you're next on the list of my, my, my losers of free agency. The Browns are a hilarious disaster. Imagine drafting a quarterback number one overall. Having said quarterback win you your franchise's first playoff game in decades. And then alienating him while also marginalizing a massive portion of your fan base by pursuing a alleged molester as their new team's leader. Yeah, uh, allegedly. Notice, I, Chris. May, maybe you even have a drop for that. Allegedly, that's going to get played every time I mention Deshaun Watson for the rest of his career. Allegedly. <laughs> <sighs> oh, and while you're doing that thing that just pisses everyone off, you're also going to ship off a boatload of draft assets. It, as a team with depth issues, you know, you, you might need those. This is the thing I take away from it. It's well documented that Jimmy Haslam is one of the most meddling owners of all of football, and that it's always come to be his, it's always been to his team's detriment. 
He took his hands off the wheel once in his whole career as owner and let his GM run the show, and it resulted in some of the some decent drafts and some winning football, which is the most important thing of all. And yet after one injury-plagued season that didn't go the way everyone wanted it to, this asshole just can't help himself. And in the process, essentially turns his team back into one of the laughing stocks of the NFL. Let's, let's, not even from an optics perspective, let's look at this from just a football and roster construction standpoint. That's how stupid this move is. You can criticize it both socially, right, because it's gross. Like, everyone feels bad about it. Like, it's just, it doesn't feel good. Can I t- t- touch on that? What yeah. I, I told you before we started recording, yeah. what I heard. I was listening to Cowherd last week, and it was before they had signed with Cleveland, and it had come out that Atlanta was a dark horse, and Colin was getting this, like, live on air from Peter Schrager, and he was kind of running down all of the things about Watson going to Atlanta. I mean, we know he's from there. Atlanta is like a Hollywood South. A lot of movies get filmed in Atlanta. So, you know, big city life. And then Coward had the audacity to to mention, well, there's a lot of Fortune 500 companies there for endorsements. Endorsements? Who's endorsing Who's going to endorse Deshaun Watson? Budweiser just pulled all of its advertising from the Washington, uh, what, the Commanders now is what they are? Yeah. Pulled all of their sponsorship. I'll still call them the Redskins. Pulled all of their sponsorship from that franchise because of the perceived optics. You think somebody's going to take Deshaun Watson? No, that's, that's a mess. But, okay, so just from a football standpoint, let's look at this. The makeup of his contract points to the fact that they know he's going to get suspended, right? They know they have to... His $10 million cap hit for this year pretty much tells the story that they know they're going to have to carry some other quarterback for the season. Everybody knows that. That's not ideal. Forget 2022. Let's look at 2023 when Watson's cap hit becomes, what, $53 million and eats up a major chunk of their expected $90 million in cap space. They're only going to have 28 players on the roster at that point outside of who they take in this draft pool, and they're going to be missing their first pick out of this draft class. Their their roster, they're going to only have two safeties, one of whom's ever started an NFL game, one running back that's ever played in the NFL before, one tight end on the roster who's never made an NFL start, two cornerbacks, and just two defensive tackles who once again, in a theme that you can kind of, you can probably smell coming, have never made an NFL start. They are literally going to have to build a 53-man roster from the ground up out of nothing with about 40 to $50 million in cap space. And they're going to be missing their most premium pieces of draft capital for the next three seasons through that building process. Chris, Deshaun Watson couldn't take an under-talented roster in Houston to a Super Bowl. Why does Jimmy Haslam believe that he can strip away all of the ability of his franchise to get more talent add this quarterback, and then it's going to be a different story. I have no idea. What makes this guy tick? I love to pick his brain. It's He's desperate is what he is. He's the Cosmo Kramer of football. He's the Cos- He just stumbles into the room with a new idea. He's got a new harebrained scheme every fucking episode when you see him. Nobody knows what to do, and nobody can stop him. This is right up... A pizza th- place where you make your own pie. This is up there with the time when he tried to sell all the stories to Jay Peterman. Like, this is how stupid all of this has become. They're going to be hoping and praying that Watson's talent alone can elevate that roster. 
it, it's so stupid. And then when you you think about how is that going to go for two to three years until they get their draft picks back and until they can get out of salary cap purgatory, um, probably about two to three years, which is the time frame that Jimmy, like that's too long for Jimmy Haslam before he makes another knee-jerk course correction. He, Chris, he could fire both the head coach and the GM before then. He's almost like <laughs> he's almost like a newer Jim Ursay. It's wild. It's wild. When will people listen to me? Like, first of all, I, I just feel bad, right? Like, we should just fence off the whole state of Ohio like Chernobyl before anybody else gets hurt. Between the geography, the Browns, and Skyline Chili, I can't think of a place begging for a nuclear reactor meltdown more than the mistake on the lake. If only as a way to once and for all just halt the production that goes on within the factory of sadness, just what? Just put it to, put this thing to rest. Kill it. Oh, we we got a comment? Yep, we're going to bring in our uh, guy, King of the Panhandle, Justin Yulberg, is in here. I believe that's Major Yulberg. Right, well, he's King of the Panhandle. You salute when there's somebody on deck who outranks you. Yeah, uh, Justin, unmute your microphone. I'm doing great, doing great. Uh, I had this great line, uh, some of Knox's lines say, try to mimic you on WGR if you can hear me or not, but uh, I fell flat at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, but, it's not that bad. So you were talking about the Patriots, and I honestly think they go 0-2 against Miami, and they split wins and losses with Jets. And I challenge you to convince me otherwise, because I just don't, I don't see them doing better than that. So- and I'll sweeping them. So that's it. So 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 Yulberg. So if that's the way this goes, so we sweep them. The Dolphins sweep them. They, they split, split with the, the Jets, Jets, which could I, I mean, crazy. It's their team got worse, not better. I I guess I look at this and I if say, if you're Woody Johnson, then and you split with the Patriots, you immediately offer Robert Sala a contract extension. <laughs> if I if I'm Woody Johnson, I'm taking a champagne shower after that game because I finally beat Bill Belichick. Like it's. But but it's happened before, right? Like, the Bills are the only team that the Patriots really seem to have their thumb on. Belichick has lost to the Jets. He's lost to the Dolphins. This has happened. So, with that in mind, it's interesting that we're here talking about this. And if that were to happen, Chris, that plays out and they go 1-5, and 1-5 and five in the AFC East, you're not even not talking about a playoff team. You're talking about maybe drafting in what, the, the top 15? Not only that, I'm looking at WEEI as my new favorite radio station. (laughs) Oh, my God. It'll be a weekly feature on this show. But more importantly, what does that mean for Bill Belichick? Because he's the guy who famously said that he's not going to uh, that he's not going to. He's like, I'm not going to be that 70 year old man walking around on the sideline. Yeah. Well, he turned 70 before this year's draft. So if if he has a season like that. Is that where he just walks away? Does Probably. he just leave? Because he's like, wait a minute, this is a. I'm going to have to melt this down into molten steel and rebuild it from the ground up. And I'm an old man. I don't feel like doing it. Yeah, just leave. Or is his ego to try to get even with Brady in that one post Tom Brady Super Bowl win going to drive him to just having his head kicked in for a decade trying to rebuild that team? I think he's he might be in the rebuild situation just to get back at. Brady and even that up. So if he gets, if he could at least win one Super Bowl without Brady, 
and Brady retires with one outside of Belichick, then that conversation continues on your first takes, first things first, your coward shows of who, was it Brady and Belichick or were they better away from each other? That conversation will continue. Oh, forever. It's hilarious. It's it's a great point. And I like thinking about it through the, the lens that he proposed. I, I, I was going to go in on the Colts, but for the sake of brevity, here's what I'll say. Uh, you, Chris, I think I made the uh, I think I made the line that uh, it was Chris Baylor's getting patted on the back an awful lot for trading for Matt, uh, Matt Ryan. Yeah, everyone's like, oh my god, look at what a gr- well, what did Ari Mirov from My Sports Update called it master class? He's like, look, he's he's putting on a master class. Chris Ballard is. You don't get to get congratulated for putting out the grease fire that you set in your own fucking kitchen. You don't get to do that. You wasted a first-round draft pick on a bad quarterback, realized it was a bad deal, found someone dumber than you to take on said bad deal, and then traded away more assets for another quarterback who's just as mediocre. You know what this is? What? To go with my cookie analogy? Yeah. It's as if Chris Ballard went to Tops at 9 p.m. and they were throwing out all the baked goods. And it's like... <laughs> he goes, is that two-day-old? Yeah. Is it, I get g- that. Yeah, give me that. And they were like, but sir... stale. Gonna, they're like, sir... It's stale. We're going to give it to the homeless. Nah, I need that. <laughs> Look at Here's the reality. They're, 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 I could run it all down for you, but they've hemorrhaged a ton of talent this offseason. They've lost pieces. Matt Ryan, ever since losing the 2016 Super Bowl, he's regressed every single season. Yardage, touchdown interception ratio, QBR, everything has declined year over year. And that was before, right? Last three years, before losing Julio and Ridley. He was flirting with 4,000 yards every season. Like, he's not an upgrade, right? Mm. Not an upgrade. No. Especially not if you're talking, like, maybe the idea is, oh, we can hide him with this rushing attack. I don't give a fuck. You lost, okay? You they lost. They do have a good O-line. You, you lost. You lost one of your best offensive linemen in free agency. <laughs> you lost your wide receivers. You lost your left tackle one, two, and your right tackle two. Your strong safety, your cornerback one, cornerback two, cornerback four. And then you traded away Rocky Sin. So basically, you don't have any cornerbacks from last year. Everything sucks. It all sucks. And I just, I, it's hilarious to me that it's happening and that people are still patting that guy, Chris Ballard, their GM on the back. Do you feel bad for Frank Reich? A little. A little. Because, you know, we mentioned Jimmy Haslam potentially being the next Jim Ursay. I mean, <laughs> Ursay, you know, could Ursay's be hilarious. Ursay could be Ursay and at the end of the year just be like, all right, Reich, you're out of here. You're done. What I love about Ursay is he you never hear about him. And then all of a sudden, every like once every four or five years, he'll get pulled over with a suitcase full of Percocet and ten grand on him. And you're like, wait a minute, what the hell are you doing? I want he's well, ten, a reality ten, show waiting to happen. Ten grand <laughs> 10 grand in cash to him is like 100 bucks to you and me. Cash. Yeah, that's you. You're that, That's the money you shove in your pocket as you're running out the door in the middle of the night to go to like the grocery. Like, I'm, oh, I got I to gotta grab something from the store. And you grab some cash and run out the door. Yeah, that's his $10,000. But the suitcase full of perks just makes me laugh. Like, what? Where? What, are you, what is your life? I want a reality show about Jim Ursay. I really do. <laughs> they should have that on the NFL Network by now. Oh, and then the Jaguars. I mean, we've already poked a few jokes. Uh, 
It's rare that a team fucks up their first crack at having top five cap space and then gets a mulligan the next season. But the Jaguars, they came into it with that. And they were all kinds of busy on the very first week. They added a bunch of redundant slot wide receiver talent while paying Christian Kirk more than Stephon Diggs. They signed a super productive linebacker who just happens to suck in coverage and then cut Miles Jack, who's been a linebacker mainstay for years. Oh, look, like I said, they, they, they released DJ Chark because they didn't want to pay him $8 million and then gave $8 million to fucking Zay Jones. With all due respect, and remember, I'm saying with all due respect, that idea ain't worth a velvet painting of a whale and a dolphin getting it off. They added some trench talent, but man, this is a hard offseason to watch for them if I'm a fan. JK to third, if you're out there, peace up, homie. I, I, God, I feel bad. For, I'll pour out a 40 for you. Or a bag of chips and salsa. Chips and salsa. I'll crush up a bag of chips for you. Like, I feel bad. This is this is atrocious. They'll be better in 2022 almost by default because you can't draft in the top 10 every single year and still suck. It's not possible. Like, eventually they're going to have to get better. But really, it's... F- Chris, who has it worse, Jaguars fans or Browns fans? Um, Follow me here. The Browns fans, have are, they're, they're embarrassed. Their owner clearly has no clue what he's doing, and he's constantly meddling in their franchise. But at least their owner knows this dynamic of like, hey, we need an elite quarterback, and we need good coaching, or else we can't win. Those are two things every good team has, and I'll burn everything I have to the ground trying to get it. The Jaguars, hang on, the Jaguars, on the other hand, have, a, have, a, have decision makers who somehow let Urban Meyer happen. You let that guy slip through the vetting process, even after he hired guys who should have been radioactive by NFL terms, you let that go. Then he sat down in front of a bunch. It's not like someone caught him on a hot mic. He literally sat down at a press conference two separate occasions and said the thing that you're not supposed to say. First, he goes, oh, yeah, NFL free agency is really hard. I don't like it. Don't say don't say that out loud. Say that to your wife when you get home, if you're not cheating on her at a bar in Ohio. Uh, and also, it's like... Don't tell the press that you used vaccination status to formulate who was going to get cut and who wasn't. He kept doing these things. And I'm like, why the fuck does he still have a job? Then this giant expose blows up in like December. And the owner just outlining all of the fireable offenses he's committed. And the owner goes, you know, we're really going to have to take a hard look at this. The guy's an idiot. Whoever allowed this to happen, the group of decision makers that allowed that to happen are dumb, but they're not going anywhere. So who do you feel worse for, Jaguars fans or Browns fans? So if you look at it, Browns fans, they're in Cleveland. Mistake on the lake, dreary, losers. They have the same weather we do. Yeah. Or Jacksonville fans who can... All right, this sucks, but... I can go to the beach. I'm going to go into the upper deck and jump in the pool. Because they have a pool in their stadium. That is Because they're funny. white trash. <laughs> is this like the, hey, we put an above-ground pool in, in our football stadium. Oh, somebody wants to say something? Yep, we're going to bring in... Well, I would say Reed is the owner of Girls Mafia... And our head coach is Iman. So we have Iman with us. Iman Azizi from Q42 Barbecue. How are you, sir? Hey, can you guys hear me? We can hear you. I'm a uh, 
first time caller, long time listener <laughs> since today's a cookie Gilchrist. Um, <laughs> I just want to say uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars exist because Paul Tagliabue said Jacksonville, Florida will become the Green Bay of the style. And uh, that's Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> Green- it, seems, it seems about right. Iman, what did you have for dinner? What did you have for dinner tonight? We want to know what you cooked. Oh, I, I posted some stuff. Oh, we got we got chicken legs. We got little uh, baby potatoes. It, it's on the socials. Uh, of course Great it content. is. Because everything that you cook goes on the socials. But I, I'm telling you though. I think I think I'd make a. I think I'm making a pretty good apprentice, don't you? Like I think I'm taking in your tutelage pretty well. Oh, I couldn't hear you guys. It all broke up. This new technology, man. I don't know. That's hilarious. So all I wanted, I want you, I want to hear the listeners for the listeners' sake. I think I've been a pretty good apprentice to you over this tailgating season, and like when we were grilling for the Super Bowl. Like I'd like that you've made me a better griller in just a short time that we've been hanging out. I, I, have I been a good, a decent apprentice? Oh, it ain't sound ain't coming in. I'll hang up and listen. Iman, I love you. I've been over here trying to learn. You taught me how to sear things. You taught me the the. the you taught me how to use duck fat. Duck fat to make your chicken wings the best they could ever be coming off the grill. I've learned, I'm learning, like, Chris, I was always good at grilling, but now I'm learning from a true master. It's incredible. I'm just incredibly grateful to Iman Azizi for showing me the ropes and learning the things from him that I've learned just in this one season. By next year, Chris, the next tailgate you come to, I'm going to be like fucking Bobby Flay. God, that annoys me. (laughs) So now, as we close the show out, since we've been here for a while, I want to take a quick look at how our fellow contenders stack up pre-draft against the Buffalo Bills. Last week in our AFC's Roundup, podcasters from around the division joined us to look at all the ways that their franchises were trying, and in many cases struggling to do enough during the free agency period to close the gap on Buffalo. I mean, I think Colin Coward summed it up pretty nicely earlier. He did. Somebody wants to talk? Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have any beer here to drink because we drank it all but we're going to bring in kyle washington from las vegas nevada kyle unmute your microphone what do you have for us hold on hold on i hear you don't worry we're not going anywhere (laughs) oh there you go what's up man how you guys doing what's going on dude i remember the last time i talked to you was you and me on uh, uh, what is it like a, a live call on Facebook Messenger? Hammered at three in the morning after the Bills beat the Baltimore Ravens. Oh yeah, we, we, yeah, we were both <laughs> hammered, hammered. <laughs> That's what, guys. You don't understand. Like the people listening to this live, like if you're part of this like thing that Chris and I have cultivated, it was, it you was good times, with? good times. I was smoking a stogie in the house. <laughs> and uh, we hang out. I said, "Screw it!" I, I looked at Facebook and I saw you were on there. I was like, ah, "I'll just give him a call." Screw it. <laughs> I'm not a stranger. Listen, if you've ever been to a tailgate, you know I'm no stranger. I, I like interaction. Three in the morning with a couple beers. It's go time. So, what do you got for us, Kyle? Well, you know, all I got is Von Miller. Okay, Von Miller. Von Miller. Von Miller. Come on now. <laughs> it's Miller time. It is Miller time. My cousin, my cousin stopped over tonight at my at the shop. I'm still working. I guess not really, but <laughs> got me a Miller High Life. And I went to the ghetto gas station and I'm looking for something to share with you guys. 
and I could not believe my eyes. I found myself a moose head. Yes. At a gas station I in Las Vegas? I've never seen it in Vegas. I have not seen it in Vegas, so I had to get it. The guy gave me six he gave it to me for six bucks for a six pack. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pop this open right now. That's at six dollars. Celebrate with you celebrate with you boys on uh a good uh, free agent signing, and uh, you oh, guys yeah. have, have a great podcast, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to send you some new beers here soon. Oh, hey, and, listen, uh, man, we appreciate it. And like I said, I love swapping beers with you. My cousin sent some from uh, on our behalf from up in New England this past year. It's yeah, oh, de- I definitely I enjoyed a lot of. They were delicious, dude. I mean, I, Treehouse I, man, Treehouse the area, They make good beer, other than the you know. Oh yeah. So, so yeah, other than their Patriots ties, everything that they do up there is pretty good. But, yeah, so to your point, and uh, I appreciate you calling in, the, uh, the, the Von Miller said, first of all, cheers. Cheers to you. Cheers. Go Bills. And to Go your, Bills. And to your point, the Von Miller signing really is, Chris, isn't that what makes us one of the winners here? Like, we, Colin Coward touched on it as we were talking about it earlier. Yeah. It was might be the, maybe the thing we were missing last year. We haven't had a signing like that since Mario Williams. And yet, when we made it, nobody, like, it, it didn't make the waves that the Mario Williams signing did. Because we have, we like, that's what happens when your team already has a star so big that it can dwarf the signing of a guy like Von Miller. So if we're looking at our contenders, now, I feel pretty confident that with the makeup of each of these teams to this point, it would be hard for any AFC East team to catch Buffalo right now. Miami's yes. probably the closest, right? A distant, okay. distant second. So now, as you guys who are were, who were listening to this in podcast form heard in the intro from Adam Shine, the Bills' odds have improved as Super Bowl frontrunners post-free agency. And while the Chiefs actually took a step backwards as second horse in the AFC, so when we take a look down, like the, the, the here's the, here's all the contenders in the AFC, and here's how they stack up. Cincinnati is plus two thousand to win the Super Bowl, and as defending champs, I don't know. I think they look like they're in good shape in the AFC North. They're the only team with a quarterback who didn't miss a start well, last I mean, year. They're addressing their yeah, needs. They they're got, the only team that addressed their needs. They got Lael Collins. They had the most complete array of offensive weapons still under contract, and maybe the league's best starting wide receiver core. A f- pretty stout front seven. Good DNs. They, they, they signed Ted Karras, Alex Kappa, which are two names that not everybody knows, but they're going to shore up the offensive line. Like, they've signed tackles, centers, guards. They swapped tight end talent and brought back some depth, piece, depth pieces. They're a team playing for a Super Bowl and losing by a single score. And, like, I don't know. I think they did better than people in the betting community are giving them credit for. And I expect I expect them to win the AFC North. But at the same time, I can see why people aren't don't aren't as high on them. You think, think about the amount of luck they needed last season, Chris. Ten games were decided by three points or less, and they were five and five in those ten games. That's an incredible amount of luck that goes into a game that's that tight, including it, all, if, including every single one of their playoff victories and their Super Bowl loss. And if you include like the, I know you said. It, within a possession, but if you break it down to field goal games, that might get better next year because Evan McPherson has a fucking leg. He's got a leg, but also... And he's going to be how, older and more experienced. If you play so poorly that your opponent can stay within three points, 
What are the odds that you win all five of those again? I think the Buffalo Bills in 2021 showed everybody winning in tight games. That's that doesn't translate from one year to the next. No, there's a lot of luck involved in that. No, it's mostly because we didn't have Bahorquez. There's a lot of bounces that could go the wrong way for you. The next team is the Chargers. They're plus 1,200. The Chargers are making a whole slew of moves. I mean, they trade for Khalil Mack. They snag J.C. Jackson from New England. And they beef up the interior of the D-line with the intent of catching up to Kansas City. Their offensive line's still hit or miss, and their playmakers aren't all that deep. Specifically tight end, their wide receivers three through five. But if their coach actually kicks a field goal once in a fucking while, they might be pushing for a playoff spot if the AFC West doesn't actually eat each other alive. The Baltimore Ravens are plus 2,200. This one's funny to me. Chris, why are the Ravens so... Why is everyone so down on the Ravens? Well, what you have written here in our show notes is that Zadarius Smith punked them like J.D. McKissick <laughs> spelled in, incorrectly. Of course, because I don't give a shit about him. He's not here, so I don't, I don't care if I spell his name wrong. Yeah, but Baltimore might be a sneaky team because, like, they just had that injury bug bad last year like you don't you're not going to expect them to have the rash of injuries that they did last year you don't expect it but also where does that come from here's the thing some injuries are like oh my god this is a freak thing once you have so many freak things all happen at one time you take a step back and you go okay what did we do what did we as a team do to precipitate all of our players getting hurt like this when you go back and you look at some of the changes they made to their training staff and their training regimen, I bet you you're going to find that that wasn't a great idea. Shuffling the deck in terms of what they were doing from a medical standpoint might not have been bright. And so in that way, I mean, you look at what they did, they, they didn't get better. I mean, they had Pro Football Focus's 21st ranked offensive line. They added a tackle, but I don't know. They still don't have a left tackle. If 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 Ronnie Stanley never gets back to form, they're fucked. Like Their offensive line was a shit show last year, and they didn't change much. Uh, their trenches are in flux because they couldn't they couldn't get a Zadarius Smith. They couldn't get any name players to play on that line. And their wide receiver core. Like, Chris, their passing attack was not terrible last year. Like, down the stretch, when they played bad football teams, they could move the football. And at the same time, when they played good football teams, it was a struggle. Right? Like, teams that could play cornerback, could play safety— they hemmed in their passers pretty well. The Browns solid. Rashad Bateman, I don't know if he's going to be something good. He's young, and he was beat up last year. Miles Boykin was being shopped on the trade block. Jimmy Smith might be retiring, and two of their prominent defensive backs are coming off of season-ending injuries. <sighs> they need to add youth and depth, but I don't know how much it's going to take. There's just They have a lot of offensive firepower, and they always will be an offensive like. They're going to score points as long as Lamar Jackson is a quarterback. Like, even if the Buffalo Bills lost, you know, everyone's, t- oh my God, Stephon Diggs tweeted something cryptic today. He might be leaving. Even without Stephon Diggs, the Buffalo Bills would still score points. Right? We got Josh Allen. But you wouldn't be as threatening of a team. You wouldn't score as consistently. You wouldn't do the things that you need to do to win every single week or to be in the position to win every week. And that's where the Ravens are basically at this point. I don't know how you fix that because they keep drafting rookie wide receivers and not a lot of them pan out. And unfortunately, like, think about this. And this is where when a GM retires, 
everyone goes, oh, it'll be easy. Like, that's an easy thing to fix. It's an easy thing to replace. Sometimes it doesn't. Ozzie Newsom found a way to make that team competitive every single year. Even though they were drafting in the high 20s. They, they, this team, ever since he retired, has really struggled to bring in skill position talent later in drafts. Yet they do well enough that they're never in a position to get the bona fides, the blue chippers. All those guys get taken off the board before they get a chance to pick. I, don't, I just don't like them. I just, I, I get it why their betting odds are so poor. And then there's the Kansas City Chiefs, whose odds fell from plus 700 to plus 900 after the trade of Tariq Hill. Now, they tagged Orlando Brown. They signed Justin Reed to, to replace Teron Matthew, who was the heart and soul of their defense over the last three years. They lost their number one cornerback. They lost their wide receiver one, wide receiver two, and wide receiver three from last season. They did get MVS. Today. Ooh, ooh, you mean the fourth best wide receiver on Green Bay's team? Oh, no. Fuck. What do you want me to do? You want you want me to do you want me to cry because they got a fast wide receiver? John Ross was fast. I'm just saying I'm going to draft him in fantasy. Of course, everyone will, because it's it's going to seem like a value pick until the first time when you realize he can't catch the ball that well. Like everyone's like, oh no, he's he's a secret. He's he's. A, do you mean to tell me that? Do you he's think got man hands? Do you think Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have utilized? Like you're going from Aaron Rodgers. Like I get it. If you're like, oh, he's a speed receiver on a bad football team with a bad quarterback, and he just hasn't played with an elite team. Oh, you mean the guy throwing in the football was Aaron Rodgers? League MVP Aaron Rodgers. Oh, then maybe he's just not that guy. The Chiefs are in a weird spot after losing the AFC title game. This offseason, like the cost of going for it for three straight years, it's starting to show. The cracks are there in the foundation. Their offense has lost its balance. And their defense has never been good. They they, they gave up the sixth most passing yards and the 12th most rushing yards last season. Uh, top five in penalties against. And they're slated to have the following hitting the UFA market this season. They're starting free safety and strong safety, slot corner, starting boundary quarterback, defensive tackle two, three, and four, linebacker one, linebacker three, linebacker four. And I don't know if you heard this, but they traded Tariq Hill. They did get five picks, though. They have two picks in the first four rounds. Who gives a shit? Those are draft picks. Those are unscratched lottery tickets that you don't know whether they have value or not. You're you gonna could, tr- you're you gonna try hit. Chris, you're gonna try to replace all of those holes with starting caliber talent out of the draft? I would bet that they could find the receiver. Here's the problem with that, right? They're gonna be out there shopping on the cheap, just like with the new cap space that they have, like they signed MVS. Ooh, I don't give a shit about that signing. They're going to be out there just like everybody else trying to shop for cheap contracts. And maybe they can find a few because unlike the Patriots, they have a legitimate shot at contending. But when you look at this, when you look at the draft, this thing that you're trying to talk about, everyone above them, right? The teams that are ahead of them in the draft have the same needs they do. The Buffalo Bills need defensive line talent, offensive line talent. Skill position talent, cornerback, wide receiver, cornerback, wide receiver, defensive tackle. Aren't those the th- the three needs of the Bills, Chris? Yeah. Okay. We draft before them. 
So do the Titans. So do the Ravens. So do all of these teams that have the same needs. So the Chiefs are in trouble. But yeah, they're going to use Miami's draft pick to get get some help. But beyond that, there's teams who have the same needs ahead of them in the order. And when you look at why they're in this position, it's because they broke the 21.5% rule, right? This is how the cookie crumbles when you do that. It's a stat that I first saw back in 2017 in an article by The Ringer. Uh, Kenny Clark wrote it called The NFL's Parody Myth Has Become a Reality. He pointed out that in, fr- in the free agency era of football, so what's that, Chris, 90, 80, when did free agency start? There's Reggie White was the first one. Okay, so what year was that? That was like 92, 93. Okay. In the free agency era of NFL football, no team outside of the 1994 49ers, which was powered by Jerry Rice and Steve Young at the height of their talents, has ever won a Super Bowl while paying two or less players 21.5% of their available salary cap. A lot of teams have made it, but decades of sample size show that none of them can win it. Usually because your roster is too top-heavy to let you spend on the type of death pieces you need to survive an NFL regular season and still be impactful come February. That's a problem because the the Chiefs, they have 60% of their salary cap devoted to just five fucking players. Uh, Mahomes is making 35. Chris Jones is making 29. Frank Clark is 26. Tariq Hill and his giant contract was fourth in terms of cap hits. That's crazy. And he gets replaced by Joe Tooney. Just to compare for everyone listening, Buffalo goes into 2022 with their top two contracts, taking up 15.8% of their cap space. It's Diggs and White. KC and their top two contracts are 31.3%. That's more than double with Mahomes and Chris Jones. And four of the top contracts outside of Hill are their quarterback, starting defensive tackle, their left guard, and their left tackle. Those It's almost 50% of their salary cap. It's this trap that teams that don't use the Patriots model of shipping off every single player in their prime and requiring a payday in favor of just finding cheap replacements, right? Teams that don't do that and get sentimental about this shit, they pay the price for it. The Bills included. The Chiefs are just the Chiefs have gone for it too many years in a row, got too enamored with their own talent, kept extending, restructuring. Now the bill is due. And that that's just the way this works. The odds of them landing impact players between now and the start of the season is not great. Right? Chris, who else are they going to add? Juju Smith-Schuster, he's he's okay, right? He's a possession receiver. He was a former number one on another team. They could find a uh, number one receiver in the draft. Sure. But is he going to be Tariq Hill? Or, or, have that, or is he going to be a Travis Kelsey-type impact for their offense out of the box in his rookie season? Justin Jefferson had Kirk Cousins in his rookie year, and he was drafted in the 20s. I'm so fucking happy you said that. Greg Thompson tweeted out the thing today. He went back over the course of like the last decade, and it was all the wide receivers drafted in the back half of the first round, picks 15 through 32. And it was every wide receiver that's been taken in that range, three Pro Bowl seasons, two of them by Justin Jefferson, one of them by CeeDee Lamb. That's, what is it? 22 combined seasons, like not, not even so, like 70 combined seasons of wide receivers and three Pro Bowl appearances. Okay, do you know what Pro Bowler, Pro Bowl 
appearances mean to me. I understand that. But when you look at the names that are on that list, there's a lot of Nelson Aguilar's and Jalen Rager's. Nelson Aguilar can catch babies out of a burning building. He's yeah, he can't catch the goddamn football. This is my point. It's a crapshoot. It's not a given. And so that's where the Chiefs have put themselves now, is that they're at the mercy of the draft, right? And here's something that no one that they're going to bring in can, can give them, Chris. It's called the Tariq Hill effect. Ever since 2016, when 2016 Tariq Hill hits the NFL, he only starts one game for the Chiefs. 2017, he starts every game. And in that season, ever since then, the Chiefs have seen teams use two high safety looks and NFL high 58% of the time when he's active. The NFL record for two high safety looks, like you know, the people did that to the Bills last year. Two high safety looks. Don't let them get behind you. The Chiefs have been seeing that since 2016, all because of Tariq Hill. That's wild. So they lost that dynamic of their offense. The Chiefs started free agency in a similar boat as the Buffalo Bills, but with an inferior defensive roster that was riddled with departures and an offensive playmaking core that had high end, but talent, but zero depth. And today they're here facing the same lack of depth with less proven top end talent. When you look at that and you look at all the teams we just talked about, Chris, is there any one of them that makes you like, do do any of those teams seem like they're in a better spot than Buffalo roster wise right now? I mean, just looking at the AFC as a whole, it's going to be a bitch to get to the Super Bowl. But when you look at our schedule and you look at how many of these teams we actually have to face. What AFC division are we playing? Uh, we play the AFC. Thinking about this now. Is it the, nor- is it the North? Mm, it could be. We played the South last year, and we weren't good against the South. We play the Bengals. We play the Browns. We the North, play the AFC North. So Steelers, yeah. We, and then we all when we have the NFC, uh, NFC North. So we play the North in both conferences. The Bengals will be a good game. You know, you, you would think uh, Super Bowl regression outside of the Bengals. And maybe the Ravens, because the Ravens are going to be back from injury. The NFC North, I'm not that worried about. And then our extra game this year is at the Rams, which, if you want a Seagram's bet right now, that's going to be opening night. I'll take that bet, because I don't think it will be. Yeah. Oh, It's either that, the Cowboys, or the, the Bengals. <laughs> and we had that last year, where we're like... Oh, we could be Tampa Bay's opening night game, and it came down to us and the Cowboys. <laughs> so I'm thinking this year they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna get it. It's gonna be L.A. Uh, LA I'll take that Seagram's take that bet. Seagram's bet. Somebody, take that Seagram's bet. Somebody write that down. I, I I guess I go back to where this show started, right? Like Adam Shine lauding the Bills the Bills for bolstering a roster that was already viewed as the the preeminent Super Bowl contender going into this season. Do you believe, Chris, that we've done enough in the past two weeks compared to what our opponents have won and lost to keep us there? Do you think that that's justified? Yeah, well, it, it also comes down Give to... Give me a beer out of there. It also comes down to... Uh, not pigeonholing yourself when it comes to the draft. Yes. I mean, 
That's the, the biggest part of this. By the that, looks of it, we're going cornerback. But we could do anything. Yeah. And that's the beauty. But of, we haven't signed a cornerback, and we don't have a two when we lost Levi. So that makes you think. Makes you think it's got to be The first round is going to be corner. That's the beauty of our GM. And so it's it's like when I look around and I see, I guess it's conversations and exercises like this that make me appreciate our GM even more. Because I say to myself, I've got a guy who understands that we're already one of the best. I'm going to paper over every perceived hole so that I can go into the draft with as few as possible and let the value of the draft board come to me. The fact that we've managed to do that makes us maybe the biggest winner in free agency this offseason because we're one of the few teams that can go into this draft. Chris, I wouldn't be shocked if in the next couple days you hear that some veteran, like a Josh Norman-type signing, some veteran who's been around just looking for one more spin at a Kevin Johnson type signing from back in 2019. Just somebody to give us a body at a position. So you they can, can never have enough corners. No, because think about it. Levi Wallace wasn't anything. He was an afterthought that 2018 season. He only got a look down the stretch and they said, OK, 2019, you'll share reps. Well, that's isn't that what Jackson is? Yeah. Okay. So then you say, hey, we saw enough of you. We like what we saw. We'll bring in somebody else and then maybe we'll draft a guy and that'll be this will be the competition. But we won't have to. We're not obligated to do anything anywhere now. The fact that we have that flexibility heading into the draft and we're not pigeonholed, that makes us the real winners. So that, Chris, raise a glass. Cheers to the Buffalo Bills. Oh, you dick. Did it break your glass? Yeah, Drew just broke. <laughs> Drew just broke my rocks glass that has our rock pile report logo on it. That you my, have two of them? I have two of them that All my right. girlfriend, soon to be landlord, gave me. That's hilarious. Those things yeah. are fragile. Yeah, he just. It wasn't an aggressive cheers. It was aggressive. <laughs> that was 100%. Everything I do is aggressive. Aggressive. I'm going to have to throw this glass out. So. Oh, God. With this in our rearview mirror, we'll be moving on and shifting gears into draft content. The Bills next step towards crafting the roster that we'll hopefully see drunk on top of parade floats carrying a Lombardi down Delaware Avenue. We're going to have weekly interviews with some of our favorite bloggers, podcasters, personalities from around the NFL. Breakdown of the position groups. My gonna, favorite time. We're going to because you get to hear how dumb I am when it comes to football. You, you're <laughs> dumb. You're dumb. <laughs> I can't wait for it. But guys, for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. Thank you for tuning in. Those of you who came in live. Thank you for tuning in each and every week. Those of you who listen at home. But to all of you. We got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Rock Report.